I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to Season 3 of my podcast, The Next Step. This year, the Australian ETA and Search Fund community is looking forward to its first big event for the region. The ETA Forum will be held at the Manly Pacific Hotel on Manly Beach in Sydney on Friday the 16th of September. In the lead up to the event, I'll be interviewing the speakers and moderators to give you some insight into the experience, capability and knowledge that will be on offer when we all come together for the first time. Please stay tuned as we count down the days and be sure to yell out if you have any questions or comments to offer so we can make the ETA Forum a great event for all involved. Now let's jump into this episode of The Next Step. We want in the world of debt to look back in history and say that's doable, it's repeatable and it's going to happen again. And simply you structure debt based on proved business models that essentially are all going to repeat and can be repeated, but most importantly will repeat. And that really does make a very good business for a searcher to go and buy as they really step in, possibly do a CEO role for the first time, but you know have a great ecosystem of support around them in terms of the governance, their investors, the way that they're thinking about their business going forward and the growth strategies that they might implement. In this episode, I speak to Tom McGee from Fulcra Financial. Fulcra is an advisory firm focusing on providing debt solutions for Australian businesses and their owners. I've had the pleasure of working with Tom on a couple of deals over the last couple of years. And one of the things that I find really valuable about the process and approach that he takes is the ability to translate from the business owner and operator to the bank and those stakeholders within the bank, including the credit departments, around how to best describe a deal, how to best describe a lend and how to best describe a business in ways that can underwrite that credit position from a banking perspective. And I think for the kind of deals that matter for searchers and for search investors, that's critical because these deals typically fit just above the kind of size that you can bank in a very simple, traditional way. And they're below the size that can warrant the kind of involvement from the bank and their analysts with a high level of structuring and credit assessment. So I think that the ability to translate between the business and the credit from a banking point of view is a real value add from Tom's point of view. And so Tom has been involved in the search community as it's grown and has been a supporter of a number of transactions on that front. He'll also be joining us at the ETA Forum next month in September in Manly. We'll be sitting on a panel and contributing his expertise and his experience to that conversation on the day. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Morning, Tom. Thanks very much for joining me on this episode of The Next Step. It's great to have you here and looking forward to talking to you a little bit about your involvement in the search fund community. Just to kick us off, would you be able to just give us a bit of a background on kind of your career to date and kind of how you came to be doing what you're doing right now? Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Pete. I think by and large, it's pretty obvious that my background and career started in a bank um, (laughs) and ultimately, yeah, in a graduate program at a bank and fundamentally about uh, sort of 14 years later, I sort of was a bit shocked to realize that I was still there, having had quite a diverse career across sort of a number of different parts. So uh, not just, I suppose, banking proper in sort of a technical sense, but also in sort of projects and transformation, uh, product management, which encompassed sort of the P&L management of, of business banking uh and yeah a whole bunch of other leadership sort of roles so quite a diverse kind of experience which which probably gave me insights into banking beyond just sort of i suppose what you might might sort of get as a 
sort of a standard career, so to speak. Um, and I imagine that, in, in that yeah. time, that banking as an industry and, you know, someone just starting their career as you would have been um, kind of 14 or 15 years ago today would be very different to starting sort of 15 years ago. I mean, banking as a sector in Australia in that period has gone through a lot of change and you would have experienced a lot of that. Yeah, 100%. And and I guess, yeah, we're talking about the early 2000s when I started. So sort of the ramp up through to the GFC, through that cycle, uh, sort of down through the other side. And then uh, here we had mining, uh, mining sort of cycles as well as sort of various other influences, sort of post-GFC and Royal Commissions and various other, other events. So, yes, I think you'd have to say that... Um, and I have to take some responsibility for the leadership roles I had at the time as well. But uh, capability across the industry has shifted a lot. The focus of how uh, banking works has shifted a lot, uh, arguably positively and negatively. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the navigation from a customer's perspective uh, is not gotten any easier. So uh, I would have to say particularly that point would have deteriorated from from my time in the industry to, to now, which effectively is about 20-odd years. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the numbers keep moving. Um, but I guess I left uh, I left banking in, in sort of just just as the Royal Commission was starting and uh, and sort of got, got uh, myself embedded in the world of uh, venture capital uh, and working with startups, and really, I suppose, taking a career break to to go and learn some new skills or re you know, reuse skills in a different way. Um, yeah, startup world is quite different to sort of you know stable business world, if I can put it like that, which is tends to be where where debt's applied. Uh, so that was good fun, and you know, working overseas, working here in Australia, but, but global uh, startup businesses really are, are drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, of information and it's just quite a quite a different beast so um yeah it was really interesting and good time uh but then sort of step back towards uh debt again as i sort of realized that uh i don't actually mind this this world <laughs> um and uh and sort of back to that point of solving the problem of how do people navigate uh the world of debt and sort of combining some of those startup skills with Ultimately, the the previous career was was how you know Fulcra Financial has been born, uh, and working with a number of uh, of people in this business. I mean, we've all got a background of banking similar to what I just described, uh, but certainly all held sort of national roles at various points within banks, and yeah, you know, very much a commonality of you know the technical side of what we do, with a very much a client focus and helping helping clients navigate the world of debt. So, mm. And there um, is a translation process there. Like I know, I mean, I, I've got a bit of banking on my CV as well. Um, and there's, it is a different language and, and strangely, even a slightly different language to kind of what a normal business owner or operator would be speaking for most of the time. And so even yeah. some of the things that they would be experiencing or the way in which they would describe their business or its opportunity or its future um, does require some translation. And, and I think that navigation point you're talking about is really interesting because um, sometimes it's not even 
the people that are in the bank, even with their best endeavours that are kind of in the right place to provide that translation, which is obviously where um, kind of people like you come into play quite a lot. Um, so I imagine that a lot of your time is spent in that translation activity. 100%, yeah. And and I have to say that, you know, there's no one in there trying to do a bad job or trying to make life difficult for a customer or a business owner. There's a genuine intent that they think, you know, that most people think they're helping. Um, but to your point, the the mindset is quite different. Uh, sometimes yeah, a business owner doesn't understand or couldn't see the mindset of lending money to themselves uh, and then actually getting that money repaid uh, mm. requires a different approach. Uh, but similarly, you know, the commerciality of, of, you know, of some bankers uh, has shifted quite a lot as well. And so there's definitely that, that interplay of, Real life experience is required to understand how things practically pay, you know, play out in in the real world, so to speak. Mm. Um, and and that does get lost <laughs> both yeah. directions. So yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I've got I've got a whole bunch of questions that are um, are on the tip of my tongue, but rather than jump into those, I, I might use that opportunity to segue into kind of the way in which effectively we bump into each other for the first time as well. Um, mm. And you, you've kind of started to get much more involved in kind of the search fund and the ETA community here as it's growing in Australia, not least of which because a lot of the target companies that um, those structures focus on are the kinds of businesses that you've you've worked a lot with. Um, and also that translation that we're talking about there works quite well for those smaller businesses and translating them, those into the relevant parts of each of the banks um, to get mm. the funding for the acquisition, but then also for various funding facilities along their growth profile as well. Um, so how did you kind of first come across, um, you know, deals in the search fund and, and ETA space and and how has that evolved for you over the last couple of years? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I'll go, I'll go straight to the answer and then sort of fill in the, fill in the, the colour. But uh, so a, a gentleman by the name of Jack Lancaster uh, introduced uh, myself and my colleague John Davis uh sort of having done his transaction uh sort of with him in a what would be described as a search like approach he certainly mm -hmm. uh certainly gave us a lot of information about what search is sort of mm -hmm. helped us understand it um and then really i suppose from there it's it's been a case of just you know lots of people have asked questions and we've connected with lots of people along the way uh but sort of i suppose more broadly uh you know, we do a lot of work with PE. So uh, it's sort of, I suppose, more generally the, the space that we sort of typically work with uh, in a corporate sense is very much that sort of family office, private investor, uh, complex or sophisticated capital structure uh, working in with bank debt to access, you know, debt capital markets that, that are really efficient at delivering low-cost capital at that end of the spectrum, you know, before you're sort of really going into into sort of direct uh, sort of market issuance style debts sort of structures. So, I mean, that, that's sort of our core base. Um, it was a very natural fit for us in sort of coming coming across Jack uh, to then sort of understand what what is really, I suppose, an adjacency in the way I think of it. Mm. Uh, to that sort of, I suppose, deal size structure. So, 
generally, I think it's quite common knowledge that you know, PE firms really do try and focus on a size range in the way that they think about their investing mandates. Um, searchers often find these wonderful transactions that just, you know, sit slightly outside that space or for whatever reason, just have certain parameters that that uh, you know, PE firms seem to not want to look at uh, or not interested in, perhaps. But it's sort of, I'm not, not trying to paint a picture of, hey, it's the leftovers, but it is very much a fantastic space that, that searchers find, uh, you know, good deals in that often, you know, uh, fit the mandate of a searcher as opposed to a PE uh, sort of practitioner possibly even just because of the name or sort of association mm. of PE, you know, not wanting mm. to have them take over my business uh, you mm. know, as a vendor. So, mm. um, so yeah, it's it's sort of, I suppose, part of the ecosystem that that you've done a wonderful job and, you know, and others uh, have done a wonderful job of starting to cultivate here. Um, I sort of have a rough count in, in sort of in my head of doing roughly about 12 uh, sort of search transactions. That seems to be a big number when I say that to a few people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sort of I think the way I define it might be quite different because <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, sort of in your in your frame of reference that there has been that number even done in Australia. So <laughs> it's sort of... Well, I think, uh, I think it's interesting. I, I, I think that if you look at, if you move it more broadly to that ETA, that kind of entrepreneurship through acquisition uh, definition, um, then you do get to those kind of numbers, right? Because there is a lot of activity that happens in that space. And I know that, for example, when I was getting started t- 10 years ago or so, um, I definitely wouldn't have called it search or even ETA at that point, but it was the same kind of thing, you know, a, an individual or a couple of individuals coming to market to buy a business that they could then drop in and, and actually run themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, your, your point around those deals that fall just outside of a private equity mandate, some of those fall outside because of a size and sometimes they fall out because of a kind of special situation. Um, and that could be vendor appetite, but it could also just be that for whatever reason, it needs that more active management of someone dropping into the business that is also an owner to then take care of whatever that situation happens to be. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that, that that those numbers feel to me to be about right. There's obviously a subset of those that are more traditional under that search definition than others. Um but I think it's really great that we're getting more and more of that track record um, kind of up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so as you've as you've been exposed to kind of those deals and and also the new ones that you're seeing coming to the table at the moment, um, what do you see is kind of the main characteristics um, of those deals from a debt perspective? So you know when when you're seeing them for the first time and you're speaking to the entrepreneur about, how do we position this with the bank? What what are the kind of key points that stand out for you that are um, not necessarily unique, but are, are characteristics of those kind of deals? Yeah, hundred percent. So I mean, I mean, the, the absolute first element uh, to these transactions, which is so important, is you know, if I kind of think back to sort of you know a five C's kind of framework, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah, I, I guess it's quite a common framework, but essentially character being the top, right? We're dealing with somebody that has got good experience, and I'm saying the searcher in this case, uh, you know, in their own right, in their previous careers or whatever they've done to date. Um, often 
and I sort of found that actually that's possibly maybe you know 60 40 or something towards the the non-financialization sort of world right so it's unlikely that the searcher has necessarily done an MA transaction before um so you know and by and large that's not the skill set you need but the character element of those skills that they bring to the table um you know and and yeah, you know, really smart people. Let's be honest. Uh, you know, but but their ability to be coached, seek advice, seek input, uh, is I suppose the fundamental foundation of of what makes this a bankable transaction. So, um, if we if we can't see a history of essentially them, you know, doing doing good things, um, yeah, essentially doing what they say they're going to do, etc. That's definitely the the starting point um the the uh, i suppose extension of that is really then into uh sort of thinking about the deal itself which is very similar to the framework of search right so if i just sort of think about that applying the framework of search to what makes a deal bankable mm. uh it, it fits really really well um quality of earnings obviously looking at sort of contracted or repeated or uh you know earnings that are stable frankly just call it a really boring business mm, um, yeah that's that's fantastic uh we want in the world of debt to look back in history and say that's doable it's repeatable and it's going to happen again and simply you structure debt based on proved business models that essentially are all going to repeat and can be repeated but most importantly will repeat and that really does make a very good business for a searcher to go and buy as they really step in, possibly do a CEO role for the first time, but you know have a great ecosystem of support around them in terms of the governance, their investors, the way that they're thinking about their business going forward and the growth strategies that they might implement. Um, but yeah, simply a long-winded answer perhaps back to the core of being the character of that individual uh, with a whole framework of search wrapped around it that, frankly, I haven't found a piece of yet that doesn't fit well with debt. So, And it's interesting, isn't it, because I've, I've heard kind of similar feedback from kind of bankers in other markets, other much more developed search markets, which is what makes it, um, in in their words, um, a, a very easy job from a, from a banker's perspective because by the time it's been through the searcher's lens, through the searcher's investor's lens, <laughs> Um, by the time it then gets to them, like most of the credit work is done, you know, the presentations are much better developed. Um, the investor backing is much more reliable. The searcher themselves is probably of a capability that's, um, you know, more developed than you typically see in businesses of this size and type. Um, so all of those things are starting to tick boxes. Um, you know, the, the skeptic in me kind of says, um, you know, but Australian banks, all they're going to look for is a mortgage, right? <laughs> so, um, how are how are you finding? Um, not only because of search, but also just because of the evolution of banking. And you know, we've got people like Judo that are coming through that are talking a lot more about bring, bringing back relationship banking and bringing back cash flow lending and all this kind of stuff. Um, as that intermediary trying to do that translation process, how are you finding the banks responding? to the kind of caliber of submission that you're able to make because of these clients that you're working with is it resonating like is it making that noticeable difference from a standard submission that you might get from a more plain vanilla 
kind of lend request? Like are those are those extra layers of let's call it credit value um, resonating inside the banks? Mm. It's an interesting question from a couple of lenses, right? So the the first would be a hundred percent agree with what you've just asserted and, and said, which is uh, the quality of what's being done in the search community is definitely making the deals doable. Mm. Um, I would also point out, though, that it's the same standard that should be applied mm. to these deals. So Yes. Uh, yeah. so, it's so meeting not, expectations. <laughs> agree, right? Where maybe <laughs> expectations weren't met in the past. Well, I would say that it's certainly exceeding expectations in the context of the standard sort of Joe blogs coming off the street hoping to do it at what we call a cash flow lend, right? So mm-hmm. no security of bricks and mortar, and ultimately we're we're securing the debts against the business structure. Um, but having said that, you know the standard should be the height of which it is, or the level that it is, which is very good commercial due diligence, really good financial due diligence and legal due diligence based on the practitioners that, that are engaged. But but it does really start with that commercial element and lining up then all the other pieces around it, you know, not limited to what I've just described, uh, to make a transaction really work. And in the end, the investment that's being made from the searcher's perspective in one deal that opportunity cost warrants that work and making sure that it is the right deal and it is a through the cycle thinking. So really thinking about, you know, how is this business going to perform in a downturn perhaps that we might have or uh, ultimately that they're going to grow this business, you know, in all weather. Uh, and and that work up front is, is being done, you know, and is, is good, of good quality. Um, mm. And it does definitely make that that process easier. Having said that, there's you know t- typically in the area that we're talking about, so sort of by size, nature, and post royal commission, there's a number of regulatory frameworks that do get in the way a little mm. bit. Uh, and so, you know, peeling that back and saying, you know, this deal is a good deal, but the complexity of a smaller transaction of, say, you know. Uh, you know, purchase price or EV price of say six to ten million dollars, the complexity is just as high as something that you know might be a lot bigger. Um, and actually, from a risk perspective, you've got less room to move. A smaller business doesn't have the sort of inherent cushions within it. Mm. If you have a drop at the top line, it's going to hit earnings, you know, pretty hard. Uh, and so those things make them harder to do. Um, mm. Frankly, being mm. the and also the regulatory framework. So, um, so on balance, I mean, uh, these deals should be done. Um, they can be done. Uh, you know, judo certainly has come to the market and is really, you know, turning on that that uh, impetus for the competition to really rethink some of this. But I have to also say that you know, CBA and NAB have both made good investments in. Mm in their you know credit support teams and there are specific teams that really can you know attack these these transactions and support them uh support them through so in that sense we definitely have more than just you know one or two banks turning up to the table to do these these transactions which is it good. definitely it definitely feels like it's better today than it was maybe five years ago for example um it feels like the capability 
or maybe the appetite or or, or whatever it is. Because um, one of the things that I was talking to Jake Nicholson about was just if you look at kind of the, the search ecosystem over the next five years, you kind of have these balancing needs of you need enough entrepreneurs, you need enough deals to do, and you need enough capital to fund all of that. Mm. And that capital obviously comes in the form of equity capital via investors, which is a whole kind of marketplace we need to keep an eye on, but also the debt capital via the, via the banks and and even non-banks potentially, depending on the size of the deal. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting over the next few years to see how that appetite, the combination of appetite and capability from the banks to be funding these deals, which kind of sit in that gap, like they're they're too big to have a simplistic approach, um, which mm-hmm. can work very, very well for much smaller deals. Um, but they're too small to have those kind of cushions or anything else in them that, that the larger deals might have. So what it does require, the way to fill that gap is with a bit of risk appetite and a, and a bit of capability mixed in the right proportions um, to get transactions over the line. So it's good to see, and I know that you've seen them and I've seen a handful, um, deals getting done in that space because it means that, you know, it can be done, as you say, um, which means there's still that space to keep executing in this range. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it's just important to basically navigate all of that and sort of, you know, have a mind to, as I said, the through the cycle thinking. Um, I think as we've come through sort of the COVID period, um, you know, banks behaved as banks do, which was, you know, um, that they do shift their risk appetite from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, some risk officers, you know, particularly sort of risk committees, will will drive risk appetite from you know what does the financial review say, as opposed to you know what is the real kind of uh, industry thematic that's going on. And there are broad brush changes to risk appetite that occur, uh, you, know, un, you know, which is essentially a setting from the board of each of those uh, of those banks, right? So. Um, the nuance that applies to individual transactions uh, can get caught up in the crosshairs of very broad policy changes. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's sort of very tricky to predict those things. But you know, to their credit, um, you know, I think you know CBA particularly saw sort of through that COVID period what NAB saw in the GFC, which was actually led by Joseph Healy, who funnily mm. enough to start the Judo Bank, right, mm. which was lending through the cycle can warrant really good opportunity and return if you do it well. Mm. Um, and essentially, you know, th- that is a, a history of of banking in Australia, um, you know, whether it was NAB in the 90s, you know, uh, whether it was was sort of, you know, NAB again in sort of the GFC period, but, yeah, interming- intermingling with that CBA more recently, and, and certainly Westpac and, and ANZ have had their turn as well. Uh, there's always, there tends to always be at least one at the table, but you've got to be able to shift and 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 sort of, I suppose, move with that and navigate with that risk appetite as it comes to be obvious. So mm. <laughs> that's a constant shifting kind of thing, right? Which is ultimately the market. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as as our kind of little part of that market in the in the search space continues to grow, it's it's excellent to have people like you around the table um, to help us with that side of the equation. And you know, as as we've been discussing, um, we're kind of getting the group together in in September for 
um, an offsite day in the form of the ETA forum. Um, and kindly you've offered to come in. I think you're also sitting on a panel there as well, which would be good. Um, <laughs> so we can we can have a discussion around a whole bunch of of, of structures and other things um, on that day. Um, and it'll be a great opportunity effectively to get, you know, you just mentioned COVID. We, we've all been separated for a long time over the last couple of years. And effectively, that community has grown a lot in a period when a lot of people haven't managed to interact. So it'll be a good opportunity to get everyone in the same room for the first time. Um, and it'll be great to see you there. Um, so thank you very much for your time today. And, and thanks for your support for the ETA Forum. And, and also thanks for all the help that you're providing to all the searchers and entrepreneurs in the market that are either in a transaction, but also I know you spend a lot of time speaking to those guys before they've even got something on the table to help them understand what their capacity might be and how they should be thinking about deals even in those early stages of discussions with the vendors. So it's really useful to have that capability accessible. Yeah, no, happy to help always. And uh, yeah, it's a fun part of what I get to do, frankly. It's working with searchers generally as people really challenging themselves and pushing into something new as always, like everyone that I've worked with has been a real joy, frankly. And so that's a good part of my job. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, Tom, and look forward to seeing you in Manly in September. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Next Step. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're joining us at the 2022 ETA Forum in Manly, I look forward to seeing you there. If you haven't already bought a ticket and this episode lit the spark, please head to etaforum.com.au to book your place and we'll see you in September.